invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 3, verse 18. Just as I did last month, I'm doing something a little different. Uh, on Communion Sunday, I'm choosing uh, a little section of maybe a passage that we've already looked at that focuses on Christ and uh, His sacrifice for us on the cross to help us uh, to help us as we come to the Lord's table, as Christ said, "Do this in remembrance of me." So I want the sermon to be a remembrance of Christ. And today we're going to look at this little snippet from uh, uh, Peter's sermon uh, or talk that he gives in Acts chapter 3. We're not even going to look at the whole thing, but just a, a, some intriguing statements that he makes and meditate on that for a few moments. I've got two points that I want to make. First, uh, I want to point out the promised plan that Peter describes here. And then I want to talk about promised blessings of which there are four. So I'm going to spend a little more time on the second point. First, if you're taking notes, first uh, promised blessing is blotting out sins. Second, refreshing times. C, sending Christ. Or third, sending Christ. And then fourthly, a restoration of all things. But let's look at these, these things, uh, first of all, from Acts 3, 18 to 21. Peter says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word and write its eternal truth upon our hearts this morning. Well, we have here uh, a promised plan. Uh, he mentions the prophets, if we would, were to read on in the passage and continue on with what Peter is saying here, he mentions the prophets several times here in chapter 3 in his speech, but twice in this text that we have just read. First, uh, in verse 18, he talks about that the fact that Christ would suffer was foretold by the prophets. And Peter here is communicating to us exactly what Jesus told his friends on the road to Emmaus. You remember these uh, two men were walking on the road to Emmaus after uh, they had heard the report from those who had seen that Jesus had uh, been raised from the dead and was no longer in the tomb. And they were wondering about those things and they didn't know what to think. And Christ appears to them that they don't recognize him, possibly because of his glorified body. And he has to uh, explain to them from the scriptures uh, all about the Christ and that, that all that they've just heard and experienced was, was what the Bible was teaching all along. And so he opens it up. It, it was probably the greatest a Sunday school lesson in history that Jesus gave there. I, I gave a comprehensive Old Testament history this morning and, and uh, people were nodding off. But these guys said their, their hearts burned within, within them as, as Christ opened up the scriptures to them from beginning to end. So Peter is just affirming uh, already what Jesus taught his disciples. 
Christ's sufferings were indeed predicted by the prophets. Uh, Isaiah 53, just to pick one of the prophets out, you know, that wonderful passage about the suffering servants who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Isaiah prophesied about this one who was to come, who indeed is Jesus Christ. But not only the prophets, but Moses, he says. Uh, Moses, the, the Old Testament as a whole, talks about the sufferings of Christ in all that Moses received as far as the instructions for the sacrificial system. All of that points to Christ. Jesus is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist affirmed when he uh, saw Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. Well, verse 21 also mentions prophets, not only verse 18, where he talks about uh, the sufferings of Christ being prophesied. But here in verse 21, it tells us that the restoration of all things was foretold by the prophets as well. Now again, Isaiah, uh, he was one of those prophets that talked about uh, a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, Isaiah 65, for example, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And he goes on and describes the wolf and the lamb grazing together and other imagery of peace uh, and, and the, the brokenness of sin gone from all of creation and everything renewed. So we have a, a really a comprehensive picture of what the Bible's teaching. And that's what the Bible is teaching, that, that there is a comprehensive plan of redemption uh, that Christ executed when he died on the cross for sin And he has promised to return to complete our redemption, to bring in our full salvation when he renews all things, when sin and death are no more, and we live together with him in the new heavens and the new earth in eternity with our joy never abating, uh, fullness of joy forever in in that day. We can read about it at the end of Revelation, for example, in many other places in Scripture. But Peter is pointing out that This is a comprehensive plan of of redemption. It's part of God's plan all along. He knows what he's doing and he's executing the plan. And he's telling those people who are listening to him that this is all part of what God had planned before the foundations of the world. He's in control of it and all of it's happening according to his purpose. And that renewal that he's bringing is not just for us as individuals, but it's for the entire creation as well not just for people, but all of creation. It's all going to be renewed, and it's going to be greater than we could ever imagine. We look forward to, those, to that promised, uh, that, the execution of that promised plan. But he mentions, and this is where I want to spend uh, the bulk of our time reflecting on this passage this morning, he talks about promised blessings, these four promised blessings, and they are so wonderful. What Christ brings us, uh, by his sufferings, uh, they are outlined here for us. First of all, it tells us here that our sins will be blotted out. If we repent and turn back, our sins will be blotted out. That word blotted out uh, means to wipe off or to wipe away. Uh, I love, uh, I'm a kind of person that gets excited about the a definition of a word, so I'm often uh, telling you what a word means. Uh, this definition is awesome, and I'm going to read it to you right from the, 
the Greek English lexicon of the New Testament. Here's what, here's what it says. This Greek word is a figure extension, a figurative extension of meaning of this word is to, this word that means to wipe off or wipe away means to cause something to cease by obliterating any evidence. I love that. To cause something to cease by obliterating, obliterating any evidence. To eliminate, to do away with, to wipe out. So what Peter is promising there is that our sins will be obliterated, wiped out. There will be no evidence of them anymore. They will be gone forever. And that sounds great. To be cleansed, to be washed, to have the stain wiped away. That's what's being promised here. Repent and turn back that your sins might be wiped away, caused to cease to have all evidence of them obliterated. That's good news for you and I, who are sinners. The psalmist expresses it in Psalm 103, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And that's in a straight line, that's not in a circle. You know, We might think if we, if we traveled east far enough, we'd come back to the same point, wouldn't we? We'd just go all the way around the globe. That's not what he's talking about. The figure is in a straight line. East and west never really meet, do they? The east is always, well, east is that way and west is that way. I'm terrible at directions. I get lost coming from home every day uh, to the church. East and west. In other words, he removes our sins away forever. They're gone. And that word blotted out is used in Revelation. It refers to when God wipes away the tears from our eyes. Uh, never to cry again. No sorrow in that new heavens and new earth. And it also uh, is used where Jesus refuses to blot out our names from the book of life. They will always be there. We are graven in the palms of his hands. Now as we come to the table today, this cup uh, that we are about to partake of, Jesus said it's the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we are to drink from it, all of us. It's a reminder that His blood washes away, wipes away our sin, cleanses us from our sins. So the first blessing is that our sins are blotted out by Christ. Secondly, He mentions refreshing times. Verse 20, uh, repent and turn back. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now this word, uh, again, another definition, times of refreshing. Uh, two different subtle nuances. First, relief from distressful, burdensome circumstances. Relief or breathing space. Don't you like that word, breathing space? You know, when you've been so stressed out and you're under a lot of burdens and then you get relief from that and breathing space. You know, during our vacation from school and work and during Christmas, you, you sit down and you can relax a little bit for at least a little bit of time. You have some breathing space and that's really refreshing. And that's what it's talking about. Another nuance is a state of cheer and encouragement after a period of having been troubled or upset. Encouragement, recovery of happiness. So that's involved in this word as well. Times of refreshing. Not just talking about the new heavens and new earth, the, the times of refreshing that will come in that day that will never end, but even now, because he, you look here, he says that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The times of refreshing 
the breathing space, the relief from the burdens come from being in the Lord's presence, from, from having uh, 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 the ability to come into his presence. And of course, Christ secured that for us. Fellowship with God, it was broken. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? What did they do? They hid themselves when they heard God in the garden, walking in the cool of the day. They hid themselves because of their sin. They, they, had been, they had their fellowship with God broken and they were expelled from the garden. But when we repent and turn back to the Lord, times of refreshing come from His presence. We are in His presence and He relieves our burdens. We're made for that. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To have that sweet fellowship with Him and to be refreshed by Him. We are all like Adam and Eve. We're always running from God when we should be running to God, turning back, repenting, and turning to Him so that we can be refreshed and renewed. Jesus invited us. He said, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Who doesn't want to have rest for your soul? My yoke is easy and My burden is light. So the second blessing is these refreshing times that the Lord brings to us through Christ. The table reminds us of that because it's through what Jesus has done for us that we enjoy these things. He bore the burden of our sin on the cross and suffered for it so that we could be refreshed and renewed and encouraged and forgiven and cleansed. Thirdly, this other blessing is that He's going to send Christ that he may, verse 20, a little later in the verse, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Now, the word Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. It means the same thing. They literally mean anointed one. Old Testament, anointed one is Messiah. New Testament, anointed one is Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. You know, if you don't look in the phone book under Christ, and it's, there's Jesus Christ. It's his title. He's the Messiah. I like that word Messiah better in, in this context just because it, it means a little something to me that I want to draw out. So he's promised uh, as we repent and turn that he will send the Christ, send the Messiah appointed for you. He's the anointed one. He's the one who has been set aside for a special task. You know, the kings, you remember when King David was a young boy and Samuel the prophet came and and God had directed him to the house of Jesse to uh, anoint the new king of Israel. And David was eventually chosen, and he was anointed with oil. He was set apart for a special task. That's what that anointing means. The Messiah is our expected deliverer. He's the one we're looking forward to. He's the hero. He's the king that we want to come and rescue us. Now, many uh, of our culture's favorite storylines... If you look at the movies or television shows or books or uh, the fables and things that we enjoy reading and uh, listening to and, and watching, many of the storylines revolves around that idea of, of the hero who comes in to save the day, the good person who rises up, the, our, our knight in shining armor, uh, the hero on the white horse who rides in to rescue us. You know... At, Human beings never get tired of that story because it's ingrained in us. It's what we were created for, that, that hero to come and, and redeem us. And Christ is the ultimate hero. He's the ultimate Messiah. He's the one that we 
expect. In fact, that imagery uh, of, a, of, a, of a hero on a white horse is what we see in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our hero. That's the one we're waiting on. He's the one that's going to return. He's going to bring the fullness of all these blessings to us. We remember that at this table, that this hero uh, sacrificed himself on our behalf. He laid down his life to rescue us, and he's going to bring in that full redemption one day when he returns. Well, that's the third thing, the, the promise of Christ returning. But then finally, that that one that we talked about just a moment ago, the restoration of all things that he mentions there in verse uh, 20, 21, or verse 21, whom heaven must receive. Christ has gone to heaven. He's ascended to heaven until the time for restoring all things, until it's time for him to come and bring out the full redemption. Uh, when sin is no more, when there's a new heavens and new earth, when, when uh, judgment is complete, and we have that picture of uh, the new Jerusalem, of God coming down and, and God being with man. And there's no need for the sun because God's glory is all the light that we need. We look forward to that day when he will return and restore all. And we, we have that promise that he's going to do so. Romans 8 talks about it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, this is a difficult life we live. People die. You know, we, we have problems. Relationships are broken. It, it's a struggle. Uh, we have to work. We have to, to, uh, to get our food by the sweat of our brow or somebody's brow. Uh, we have to uh, labor and, and things don't work like they should. So the world is broken and doesn't work like God intended for it to work before sin came into the world. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. See, corruption. Everything is corrupt and everything dies. It's, it's, we're enslaved to that. And we obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. See, in this hope that everything will be made right, that our bodies will be perfected, that creation will be restored back to uh, the, the glory and splendor it had before sin entered it. All that is promised to us. That's the, the salvation and the hope that we're looking forward to, the fullness where we uh, truly enjoy the complete adoption as sons. And yes, we are children of God now, but there's something more coming. 
joint heirs with Christ, receiving all, uh, all that He has for us in that day. He goes on, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Yeah, that's right. If you, if you have what you hope for, you're no longer hoping for it. You've already got it. That's what he's saying. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So in the meantime, we wait for it. We wait for it with patience. And the table that we come to today uh, is a little foretaste or a uh, picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb that is talked about in Revelation, uh, hinted at in Matthew, talked about in other places in Scripture as well. The marriage supper of the Lamb. When God, uh, when Christ will, uh, will, will marry His church, when we will be united with Christ forever, uh, when we will be truly cleansed, that imagery talks about in Revelation, uh, of the, the bride being prepared, holy, dressed in white, ready to be united with Christ forever, with the Lord in fellowship. This table is a picture of that feast that we will enjoy when we, we uh, have communion with the Lord forever. This is just a little foretaste of it. We will be with God and with His people, and that's, that's what we celebrate at the table. We, re- we celebrate the fact that Christ's blood blots out our sins. We celebrate the, the fact that having fellowship with God uh, refreshes and renews us, and we come to the table for that refreshment and renewal. We uh, remember our great hero, we remember Christ who suffered and died for us to redeem us. And we, we participate in Christ and His sacrifice as we participate in the table. And we look forward to that day when uh, we will not have to take this supper, but we will always be feasting with the Lord forever. I hope that's an encouragement to you and a reminder to you as we come to the Lord's table and as you take the good news of what Christ has done for you out through these doors and into the world, that that would, that would impact the way that you live your lives, that you would give yourself to this, to this great Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.